Um, so I think you know by now, I, um, I sometimes get a bit too excited and struggle to stay in my time limits. I've even put my watch on today. I've got my phone on me as well. I'm going to put my phone out, um, and I've got Glenn at the front row to do this if I start getting too carried away. So apologies. I'll apologise in advance. Um, the, the talk we're looking at this morning, so as you know, we're working through this series in the book of Colossians. Um, we're going to be in Colossians 2 today. So if you've got a Bible, you can start turning to that. If you've got a, your phone, don't worry, I'm, I'm assuming you're not you are, I'll assume you're not checking Facebook or anything, and you can turn to Colossians 2 on your phone, or if I'm really taking up a lot of time, just check Facebook. Um, so um, we're going to be looking at Colossians 2, and you can turn to that, um, but the, the topic of the verses we're going to be looking at today are all about how to live a free and a full life. And this isn't something, this is something the Bible talks about and gives the answer to, but this is something the world talks to you about non-stop. Everything in the world is trying to promise you a full life, a better life, a more satisfying, richer, complete, just joyful, bountiful life. Everything says we can make your life fuller if you do this or if you buy this thing. And it says, or, or you'll be freer. So you think of like even something like a, a, a mobile phone SIM card. They say, oh, we've got the best network coverage. You'll be free to go wherever. We've got no roaming charges. You're totally free. We're not going to constrain you or bound you in any way. You're totally free. And we'll give you all you can eat. You're going to be totally full of data and minutes and calls and everything you want. And you'll start to see this in adverts. It promises like life will be better and it'll be fuller and richer and it'll be great. It's not just um, adverts where they're trying to sell you something. If you think of the, the key tenets of things like Brexit or the Scottish devolution, whatever side of the fence you fall in it, the argument was, I oh, will be much, you know, the reason for Brexit they were saying was, oh, well, we'll be free from these guys over here who are trying to constrain us. And we'll have much more fullness in our life because we won't be giving them money. We can spend our money how we want and we'll be totally free. And so you see it in politics and all these different places they argue for it. The technological revolution said, oh, well, you're going to be much freer. Your phone, you can work anywhere and you can do all these things and there's going to be more automation and you'll be full and free. We even have arguments or, or there's, there's a lot of voice of saying you should be free and full in every single area of your life. And so you can choose what sexuality you want or the number of partners you want. You can choose your gender because you should be free to choose whatever you want. Who is it to tell you how you should live your life or what your gender should be or anything? And so everything in the world promises you freedom and fullness. It's kind of one of the things the world's constantly shouting at you. The problem is it's not working. And if you look, this isn't like, a well, let's look at the Bible says it's not working. This is just if you look at what's happening in the world. The UK has the biggest mental health problems of any country in Europe. One in four people will experience a mental health problem at some point in their life. You look at suicide as the biggest killer of age of 49. You look at um, 14-year-old girls, I think it's one in four 14-year-old girls self-harms. So we got 100 girls from Portobello High School and lined them up. 25 of them are probably self-harming. You look at the satisfaction scores of people in the UK, and it's, it's woefully low. If you look at loneliness, now we often think loneliness, and we think, well, that, that's the older generation of people who maybe can't get out because of mobility problems. And, and that is undoubtedly true. There's a problem for loneliness there. But research is showing that 16 to 24-year-olds are more lonely than they've ever been. 10% of, I think something around 10 or 13% of um, 16 to 24-year-olds experience um, severe or extreme loneliness regularly. And so the world's promising you freedom and fullness, and this is how you get it, and buy this, and do this, and live this way, and be whoever you want to be, but then it doesn't seem to be working. And so the passages we're going to look at today are really important, because 
It's Paul saying, and writing to the church in Colossae, saying, this is what will give you a free and a full life. An answer, we'll come back to it, we'll circle back to it. The key is Jesus. He starts off in um, uh, Colossians 2, verse 6. He says, just as you see Christ Jesus, Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Continue to walk in him. He says, the key to freedom and fullness is Jesus. Now, we often think that's like the Sunday school answer. If ever you get asked a question in Sunday school, say Jesus, and nine times out of ten, you're probably right, okay? Um, but it's not. that Paul kind of backs it up, and we're going to look at that. The thing I want to do before we look at what Paul says, you will, uh, uh, he says how you will find freedom and fullness in Jesus, he talks about four things that can distract you. So he starts off at Colossians 2, 6 to 23, we're going to look at it. He says, he says, the key to a full and free life is Jesus. Watch out. Here are four things that might distract you. In fact, he uses stronger language. He says they'll, they'll hold you captive. They'll take you prisoner and bind you up and put you in a cell and lock you up and put chains on you, and you're going to lose that. And so the world's promising you freedom and freeness. Um, it delivers emptiness, and it delivers sadness and heartache and mental health and suicide and all these other problems. And Paul says what we can do about it. So four things that Paul says can distract you, kind of the warnings he gives you. And the first one... Um, you'll see it's um, Colossians 2, um, and it's verse 8, and it's um, intellectualism he's talking about. He says, verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Now, Paul's not being against being intellectual. He's not against sound reason and good argument. It's one of the ways that he talks and structures and writes his letter. What he's saying is that there can come a point where you go to an extreme where you try to explain the world without God, just using human reasoning and human smartness, and you try and write God out of the story. And he says, watch out for it. People will come up with really good-sounding arguments and sound rationales and logics that feels right. Other places in the Bible you hear about um, these, tickly, these, ears that'll tickle, uh, these arguments that will tickle your ears. They sound good. But he says, any time where someone tries to be smart enough to write God out of the story, he says, watch out. Now, you might not know there's a place um, that started off in London a few years ago um, called Sunday Assemblies. And um, they're now, I think, in 70 different locations where they have 70 different services. And what they, it was started by two comedians who one Sunday they were going off to a gig somewhere and they were like, do you know what? There's loads of stuff I love about church. Like, take the God stuff and trash it. That's junk. But oh, wouldn't it be nice to get together and, and kind of have the community vibe and sing some songs? And so they do. So they started this thing called Sunday Assemblies. And if you look at the website, and you don't read too carefully, it looks like some hip, happening, vibrant London church. And they've got the band up, but they sing pop songs. And so they'll, they'll kind of get up, and we're going we're gonna to sing together, and they'll all stand up, and they'll sing, like, you know, Chumba Wumba Tub Thumping, or whatever it happens to be. And so they'll sing all these cheesy songs, and they'll enjoy it. And then they'll get someone to come up and give a talk on um, philosophy, or science, or psychology, or any of these sorts of things. They even have small groups. So they'll gather together for small groups midweek, and they'll even do church, um, or sorry, no, I say social activities to benefit the community. And they say, it's brilliant. You should come and do this. Church is really, really good. All these things are good, oh, but just don't bother with the God bit. And what Paul says is there's a problem with intellectualism of, of trying to explain the world without God is you don't have God's power. You don't have his power over sin and you don't have his power over death. And so these guys' argument says, well, look, when you die, you die and that's it. And so let's have a party and we'll just enjoy ourselves and we'll try and do good. Paul says, yeah, the problem with that is there is going to come a point where you are going to die and there's nothing that a party can solve with dealing with your sin the stuff you've done wrong and overcoming death so Paul says watch out for trying to be smart enough to explain the world without God
Second thing he says um, in verse 16, he warns against legalism. Um, So you see verse 16, it says, Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regards to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So he says, um, don't worry about, about um, ticking all these boxes or being good enough. And so he's talking about things like the, um, the various Jewish festivals that would be going on, or um, when he talks about kind of new moon celebrations, he's kind of worshipping the sun, moon, and stars. And he says, and so the argument at the time was, well, if you do all these things, if you tick all these observances and tick everything, get it done, get it done, then you'll be good enough and it'll be all right for you. And Paul says, legalism doesn't work either. In fact, I love the turn of phrase. He says, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. And so these guys were following traditions that were laid down in the Old Testament, and they added a whole bunch to it because they thought, well, we're smart enough and we can help you by adding a few more hundred things for you to do. And Paul says, no, no, they were a shadow of Jesus. And the problem is if you focus on the shadow, you miss Jesus. Now, if you imagine that my wife Louise had been away on holiday for a few weeks, and I was waiting at the airport, and I was really excited to see her. And she walks out of the gate, and I run over, and I lay flat on the ground and hug her shadow and start kissing the floor and be like, oh, it's so good to, oh, it's so good to see you. I love you. I've missed you. You'd all be like, Lewis, you're a nutter. <laughs> what? Like, what? What's wrong with you? Why are you hugging and, and being so excited about seeing a shadow? Your wife is standing right there. Don't be a fool and get excited about a shadow. She's there. That's what Paul says. He says, don't get excited about a shadow. These things, all these um, Old Testament, um, not all of them, but a lot of them were, were designed to lead you to Jesus. And they were met and fulfilled and bettered in Jesus. And so Paul says, don't get excited just about the shadow, the legal, the tick boxing. You can never be good enough. In fact, he says it'll, it'll crush you. The weight of trying to be good enough will crush you. And it'll what? It'll lead to emptiness, not fullness. And it's not going to lead to a free life. He says, don't, don't, don't get excited about the shadow because then you just miss out on Jesus. I think on, on that, um, I'll talk about some of these later on, but let's not just get into the temptation of laughing at these guys and saying, ha, oh, idiots, look at them with their legalism. But we do this. I mean, where we expect certain things. So I'm going to read my Bible. I'm not expecting to see Jesus. I'm just doing it because it's the thing that I do. And I'll go to church and I'll go to my small group and I'll do all these things. I don't, I'm not expecting to find Jesus. I'm just, it's a shadow thing that I'm doing. So again, it's not, it's not just a case of where I'm pointing these out and saying, oh, well, look at these fools and we're much better. It's really easy. I can think of loads of times where I've gone into prayer time or worship time or small group time or something, and I've forgotten that Jesus is standing right there. I just focus on the shadow of what's going on around it as well. Third thing he warns you about um, is mysticism or kind of faking your own religion. So you'll see um, verse 18. He says, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. She says, don't don't get tempted by mysticism or, or making up your own religion. And I think there's two things he's talking about here. He's sort of saying where you kind of pick and choose what it is you like. Oh, well, I like this part of God, but I don't like this part. And I'll, I'll kind of, you know, I'll, I'll kind of just move God to the side and take these little bits. It's what we see. You see a lot of people like, well, I'm a very spiritual person. I take this from Buddhism, and I take this from this, and I take this. But again, we're really tempted to do this sometimes. Oh, well, these parts of the Bible I find really uncomfortable, so I'll just, I'll, I'll not bother with those things, and I'll focus on these things. 
Another thing is he's saying, don't worship the things. He talks about um, these people who worship angels. He says, don't worship angels or the things that God has created above him. So you see there, when Jesus sends out the 72, these, these folks go out and they start to see all these miracles and all this stuff happening. They come back and they're like, it was amazing. All this stuff happened. It was incredible. Jesus says, yeah, yeah, don't, don't get more excited about the stuff that you do for God or you do with God. Be excited that your names are written in the book of life. You're saved and you're with God. He says, don't get excited about it. Don't make up your own religion because you, kind of what you end up with is like a zombie religion. You know, these kind of zombie things, depending on which era you've grown up in, your view of what zombies want to do. If you're, if you're young, then they want to eat brains because that's what they do in the games. But the whole idea is this undead thing that's kind of like... Argh. And Paul says, don't, don't fake your own religion. Don't pick and choose what it is that you want. Or, or, or what happens is you get separated from God. You end up with something that really is nothing. It kind of maybe has the illusion of church and all these different things, but, but it's nothing. He says, stay focused on Jesus. And then the fourth thing, I'm going to tell you how to have a free and full life soon, don't worry. I want to say these are the things to, to watch out for. And the fourth thing, uh, it's a word I always, I always trip over, asceticism. But ignore that word unless it excites you. Um, what he says is um, in verse 20, he says, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based merely on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship and false humility and harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. He says, don't, don't sort of try and worship your own power or kind of, you know, like the kind of the chant of deny, deny, deny. And so like, you know, I'll, I'll not do these things and I'll not touch this and I'll not handle that and I'll, you know, kind of whip my own back and I'll, I'll kind of rely on my own strength and power to get through life. He says, no, it doesn't do anything. It says, what it says, it says they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. He says, don't focus so much on your own power or doing things in your own strength because you miss out on God and his power. He just says, these things don't work. Now, you know this. You will all have started New Year's resolutions or mid-year resolutions or said, this week I'm going to be really good and not eat this, do this, do that. <sighs> Gets about Monday and you've forgotten about it. <laughs> Suddenly you're like stuffing the chocolate down. You're like, oh. He says, Don't, you can't just fully rely on your own power to do things. You need God. Now, a, a, an interesting example of this, and again, this is not, um, not me pointing at them and saying, look how, how these get it wrong. But if you look um, at the <laughs> Muslim religion... <laughs> Um, of the, the eight countries in the world that consume the most online pornography, six of the top eight are Muslim countries. And so these are countries that are very controlled and rigorous around what people wear and how you live and all these things. It's very, very locked down by the state and by personality and by religion. And, all these and actually, there's just a lot of online pornography and other things. And again, I'm not pointing and saying that. I'm just saying it's a good example of Pakistan, very controlled country, and actually the... There's something of that self-control power, relying on yourself, that just doesn't work. And so Paul says, don't get tempted. Don't get tempted to try and um, be too intellectual and kind of work out how the world works without God, because you lose his power over sin and death. He says, don't, don't worry about text boxing to be good enough. You, you can't be good enough. And what's going to happen is you're going to actually miss out on Jesus. You're going to get excited about shadows, and you're going to miss that Jesus is there. He says, don't try and fake your own religion or pick and choose and make up what you want, because you get disconnected from God... And then you end up with this kind of zombie religion that, that leads to nothing. And don't get tempted to do things in your own strength or worship your own power. Because he says you just miss out on God's power. It has no effect. 
As Paul says, all of these things will lead to emptiness and they'll lead to the constraint to being held captive by them. And so Paul says that the, the key to a full and free life is a right relationship with God. He says it's all about Jesus. Now, we're just going to, it's really handy if you have a Bible, because we're going to just work through verses 9 to 15. And we're just going to look at how they promise, what Paul says about it. So, verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So Paul starts off and says, if you want fullness, all the fullness of God is found in Jesus. Now, the stuff that we find good in life, laughter, fun, friendship, joy, music, all these things, it says the full, they're, 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 not, they're not things that God created just out of choice or he thought, I'll keep them entertained while they wait for death. All these things, love and beauty and the arts, all these things where they're good and pure, it's because they've come from the fullness of God. It's who he is. It's his character and his nature. And so anytime we're enjoying stuff in life, when you have those like little moments where you're like, oh man, this is great. With my son's birthday party yesterday, there was a point where he turned to Louise, he was like, this is brilliant. That thing he's feeling in that moment has come from God because it's in his nature and who he is. And so Paul says the fullness of God, all the stuff that is good and beauty and music and art and emotion and delight and all these things, they've been found in the fullness. The fullness of God is in Jesus Christ, this man that was born and came and lived. Okay, verse 9. Verse 10, and in Christ, in Jesus, you have been brought to fullness. It says the fullness of God was brought into Jesus, and through Jesus, you can be brought into proper fullness and freedom. It says through Jesus. It says the key to this thing is all around Jesus. He is the head over every power and authority. Gabriel is saying that this is, this is the, the God that spoke everything into being, that is king over everything, that has no beginning and no end. He's, he's infinite. There's, there's nothing greater. There's no higher power and authority above him. He says, and, and you get into that fullness through Jesus. In him, verse 11, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. So the tradition of circumcision was um, a, sort of around a devotion to God, but it was around kind of casting off, the, so the force going to be cut and cast off. It was like this casting off this fleshliness. And so that was the, 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 the biblical picture of circumcision, this kind of throwing off or getting rid of the, the fleshliness of us and humans. And he says, you weren't, um, you weren't circumcised with circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh, your whole sinful desire, everything that, that in you craves the stuff that's not good for you, was circumcised with a circumcision not performed by whole hands. Your whole self by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. He says, rather than just this kind of fleshly thing, there was a circumcision that happened when you came into the fullness of Christ that was greater and grander and actually effective rather than just this human act. It was a shadow. The circumcision in the Old Testament was a shadow of the fullness of being made new, casting off the flesh and the sins and the stuff that controls you, the captivity stuff of the flesh. He says all of that was broken. The chains were broken and cast off when you came to believe in Jesus. You were, you were free from that. And it goes on. Not only was that cast off, verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. He says, when you commit your life to God, the, the fleshliness was cast off, but you were also, you were buried. When Jesus died on the cross and everything was nailed to him, all our sin, all the stuff we got wrong, Jesus was buried, and three days later, came back to life. And so Paul's saying, when, you're, when you focus on Jesus, you get the fullness of God in Jesus, and in him, 
you get to cast off the fleshliness, the stuff that is not good. But more than that, you die. It's put to death. Can't, like, that's it. It's dead. There's, there's nothing of that that can be raised. And you are raised into a new life. He goes on to talk in a second about our starting position. He says, you've been buried with him and raised with him through the faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. It's Paul saying that the key to, the, the reason these things can't give you freedom and fullness is they don't have the power of dealing with the, the sin that's in us, of the consequence of our sin, of even dealing with the, the, the stuff in the world, the power and the authority in the world of Satan. And all these things. He says, you just, you can't deal with it yourself. But if you're in Christ, you get the fullness of God through Jesus. Raised to a new life, totally made new, free from all the stuff, all the, all the baggage and the junk and the rubbish, free from it all. Now, we tend to think that we start off life alive, and then there comes a point in our life where we die. And Paul has a slightly different view. He starts off by saying, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, then God made you alive. He says, you're, no, you're never truly alive until you're in Jesus. He says, you, you start off dead and you're, you're caught up by the sins and the fleshliness and, and, and the uncircumcision of your life. But then when you come to Jesus, you're made new and set free in him. And actually for the first time, properly, truly alive in the fullness of God and who he is. It says, God, Christ forgave all our sins. So verse 14 and 15, it's lovely. He says, he canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. So there's three steps of this. He says, first of all, cancel the charge. Now, if I'm in court and something gets given in testimony or is entered into the court record, you've got the kind of court person that records it, and it's, and it's fact. Now, if the judge deems something to be irrelevant, they can say, strike that from the record. Take it out, like, just blot it out. Strike it from the record. It has no influence and no bearing on this person and this trial. And so what Paul's saying is he says, through Jesus... He's cancelled the charge of the legal indebtedness. Jesus said, no, 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 that bit there and that bit there, that's mine. That's mine. That's stricken from your record. There's a verse in Revelation where it's, it talks of this um, courtroom scene with Jesus and God on the throne as the, the judge. And it says that there is, Satan is standing there day and night accusing you of things. And what he's saying is that when you died with Christ, when Jesus went to the cross and died for your sin... That, that stuff that you've done was stricken from the court record. He says, it's blotted out, has no bearing. Jesus says, no, no, that's mine. Put that on my tab. He says, that has blotted out totally from your record. Then goes, not only has it been cancelled as a charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, but he's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. He says that the, the, the freedom comes from knowing who you are in Christ. You've died. He said all that stuff, when you ask for forgiveness, when you're in Jesus, all that stuff, it's put onto his tab. God the, the judge says, strike that from their record. That, that's, that's nothing to do with them. They're clean and pure. And that's freedom. Being able to live in that thing of knowing, do you know what? Through Jesus, I am free of all the stuff that I've got wrong and I've done. I'm totally free for it. Not by my own strength, not by my own power, only through what Jesus did. He took it, he, he wiped it from my record, he nailed it to a cross. That old part of me has been buried with him and I'm now alive in him. Paul says that's, that's the only way you're able to get it. And then verse 15, he says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so um, in Roman times, if you, if you won a battle, if they kind of went off and won the battle, they would 
come back, kind of victorious parade, and they would have behind them like a, a, this like long-running line of the, the people they defeated, stripped off of their armor, often naked, or kind of, you know, like in chains, and they would be paraded through just like to say, look, look how weak and nothing these people have against us. And Paul says, when, you, when Jesus died on the cross, he disarmed the powers and authorities and made a public spectacle of them. They thought, we're going to get the victory. He says, no, no, these things have no power over you whatsoever. You're free from the consequence of your sin, and you're free from the power of the age. You're free from, from Satan, all the principalities and powers. You can walk in freeness and just look and say, man, Jesus just annihilated them. And so Paul says that the key to living a full and free life is Jesus and understanding what he has done and therefore understanding who that makes you. The old you has died and Jesus has taken your place on the cross, but you get to step into his place as a son or a daughter of the king. The fullness of that. God who knows no end through all beauty and stuff is found in him. So man, you get to walk in that. Now the problem is there's a bit of a disconnect, right? It's really Jesus, oh, well, Jesus is the, is the key to fullness and freedom, but there's lots of times in our life where we don't necessarily feel freedom and fullness. And there might be a lot of people that know me that say, yeah, I lose the Christian. He doesn't seem like the most full and free. In fact, sometimes I seem pretty stressed. And, you know, like he, just, he doesn't, he, they might not describe me as being someone that's totally full and free. Now, I guess Paul's writing this in prison, He's in chains. He's bound up. He's, he's kind of you know, shackled there in dark, dungy place, little food, little resources, and he's full of joy. So even if you think, well, no, actually, I'm pretty, I'm pretty upbeat and full and joyful. Man, if you were in a prisoner of war camp, shackled day and night, would you be singing such that the people around you are transformed to the beauty of understanding Jesus? And there's a disconnect between what happens. And the key to understanding this disconnect is David Attenborough. Uh, verse 7, no, no, I'm not um, I, want to, I want to just give you an example. Now, I've tried to pick like a, someone that might be like, you're not going to have a strong aversion to. So David Attenborough, the guy that's done all the, um, the, kind of the natural earth documentaries and stuff. Now, imagine I wanted to know David Attenborough. And imagine the whole fullness and freedom of life came through David Attenborough. And so I said, right, I, I resolve to know David Attenborough well. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go on Wikipedia and I'm going to learn all these facts and figures about David. And I can go and study that and learn all that. And then I go and get David Attenborough's autobiography, the book he's written about himself. And I pour over it and I read it and I, and, I, and I wrestle with it and I grasp it. And then maybe I join like a little David Attenborough fan club. And we meet up together once a week to chat about David. And we sometimes watch videos about people who know David, talk about who he is and stuff. You'd be like, cool, I, I would, those would be good things to do. There's nothing wrong with those things. But imagine David, no, I didn't think God would do it. But imagine David Attenborough was standing here and he's like, Lewis, I want to have a relationship with you. Let's go and have a coffee and let's chat. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about myself and you can ask me questions and expect me to answer. And we can, we can develop a relationship. And then I'd be able to sit down with David's autobiography with him and say, David, you wrote this book, or you're a ghostwriter, but let's assume he wrote this book about yourself. And I don't understand this book. Could you tell me about it? And I get into dialogue with him. David says, oh, do you see that thing over there? And I'd be out in the streets with David. He said, you know what? Oh, let me tell you about that bird. And I'd suddenly be caught up and transformed with the beauty of the world around me through seeing it through David and understanding his view of the world. And he'd be like, come on, let's go on an adventure. <laughs> no, no, don't worry about it. I've got it. Let's go. And see, the, the reason that we experience this disconnect sometimes of fullness and freedom is not because we're not saved. 
It's not because our sin's not been cancelled out. It's because we sometimes just get caught up in the shadow of stuff. Now, I, I want to be really clear. The Bible is the living Word of God. Okay? I'm not treating that as David Attenborough's autobiography. Okay? The very Word of God, breathed and inspired into man. But there's something of a relationship, a dialogue, a, a, a connect, Jesus, that, that changes it from being an academic thing to actually this living, breathing relationship with Jesus. Now, Jesus is in the room just now. It'd be really cool if I was like, it's David Attenborough, and he opened the door and he came in. You'd be all like, David Attenborough's in the room. Jesus is in the room. He's here. And he wants a relationship with you. He's given us his word, and he's given all these things for us to understand him, and and we we get freedom through that. And so there there will be wrestling that you will do with the Bible that will lead you into freedom of understanding God more. And it's great, and it's beautiful. But there's more that you can have through trying to find Jesus in the moment and have a relationship with him. How much more do I see? Let's, let's stop in a minute. In fact, let me just pray, and then I'll, I'll close up and we'll finish. Jesus, do you know what the... There's no temptation in me, but it's easy to think that if I write a good sermon or if I get animated enough or excited about something, that'll happen. But the very message that Paul is giving us is that that's not the case. Jesus, you have all power and authority. Jesus, you are in this room with us just now. I love Paul. Paul's writing in prison, guys. And don't forget, Paul is the guy that held the coats while Stephen was stoned and bludgeoned to death in the street, one of the first martyrs. And then he went and he got a letter that gave him authority to kill Christians, and he was breathing out murderous intent. Now, Paul was a legalistic guy. He knew the Old Testament Scriptures. And Jesus, he met you in a moment on the road to Damascus. And it was that meeting you, seeing you in that moment, hearing your voice speak to him that changed him. I love later when he's prayed for it, it says, scales fell from his eyes. And so Jesus, I ask, Lord, that you would do what I cannot and none of us can do this morning, which is, God, would you start to speak to each of us. You're here in the room. Lord God, where there are are things in our heart that cause us to try to to kind of intellectualize above you, or things where it have become legalistic stuff from us that's leading us to, to death. Lord God, where we've kind of got detached in certain areas of our lives from you, where we're trying to do stuff in our own power, Lord God, would scales fall from our eyes now? Would you show that to us just now? I can't do it, Lord. Jesus, would you let the scales fall from our eyes now? Jesus, would we start to get the freedom and fullness that you promise us? Satan is is shackled and naked walking through the streets. 
and we are to be free and celebratory people. Whatever our circumstances, it's not a promise that life is easy. It says, know that you, you will have difficulties, that there will, there will be tough times. There'll be times where through situation or circumstance, you feel like Paul, shackled and chained and trapped. But there's a fullness and a freedom that comes from just delighting in Jesus in that moment. And Lord God, even the, the songs we've sung earlier on, Praise the Lord, O my soul. It's a command to our spirits to say, just praise God. I love, Lord God, that there's nothing that I can say to people. Oh, well, what you need to do is go and do this or do that. Because it just leads to death. Lord, the thing that you call us to do is to delight and feast on you. And so, Lord God, would our prayer times, our Bible reading times, Lord, would they become places where we don't just see shadows and and things, but would you come and and open your word to us, Holy Spirit, and reveal God to us in it? Lord God, would our times with our kids, which often will feel, or or family or friends, and there's these different seasons we go through that feel prison cell like with small kids you're like oh man I feel trapped this is what this is but Lord God would you come into those moments would we find you in those moments and experience the fullness and freedom that comes from being in Christ God as we're walking home today as we're as we're in the streets would you just let us know that you are with us and show us just as if David Admiral was there saying look at this isn't this exciting oh son daughter listen to this Oh God, would you start to do it? Because only you can, Father God. Jesus, in the in the spiritual realm, as we stand now and worship, as we sing, oh Jesus, would there be chains and shackles that would lie broken at our feet? Lord God, where there are words that people have spoken over us, whether we know them or not, where someone has said, oh, well, this person, they're that or they're this or that, and they've spoken death into us. In the courts of the king now, I declare all of those words to have no power. Through Jesus' death on the cross, those words that people have spoken of you have no power at all. Jesus says, you're my son, you're my daughter, and I love you. Oh God, I pray against addiction and things in our life that have have captured us and chained us up and, and manacled us. In the name of Jesus, would those chains be broken now? Would freedom reign in this place, Lord God, because of your son's death on the cross? Lord God, would would standing firm against temptation, oh Jesus, would it become easy? Would it become easy? All power and authority is in Jesus and sin and sickness and, and just all these different ways that we abuse ourselves, Lord God. 
even addiction to social media or just a stuff that's not good for us, Lord God, would you break the power of it now in the name of Jesus? Lord God, I ask that you would transform us into a people that are full and free. Lord God, would we be marked as a, a church, as a body of people that are, are, are just, there's something about those guys. Ah, oh, as my friend, and I just, oh, there's just something about them that is just joy de vie, this joy of life, and free about them. And it's really weird, their friends the same, <laughs> and they go to this place, man, I've got, I've got, they, they tell me it's Jesus. Lord God, would fullness and freedom and the extension of your kingdom start to ripple and, and, and rapidly grow through Portobello and Edinburgh and Scotland and the UK, Lord God, through us walking in freedom with you. In Jesus' name, amen.